Pray with me. Father, that is our prayer today, that you would indeed make us a holy temple, your sanctuary, that you would find us to be a holy place, that you could rest in your power upon us today. We ask that your spirit would just envelop each one of us individually, envelop us as families, that your spirit would rest heavy upon marriages, relationships between parents and their children, strained relationships between friends and loved ones, that your spirit would rest heavy upon this body as a church, and that you would begin to do new things in us. We're standing on the edge, and we ask that you would help us to leap out into your arms today. That you would make us truly your sanctuary, pure and holy. May we not lift our hands to idols, but may we seek your face, O God of Jacob, today. This is our prayer. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we ask that you would speak your word to us again as we turn now to your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our Scripture text for our sermon today. We are going to be in Psalms. We're going to look together at Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. And I invite you, if you'll please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory, because Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise You. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is God's holy word for us as people. May he bless our time and his word today. You may be seated. <clears throat> Last week, we... <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week we zoomed out from our very close study over several weeks of the specific details of the regulative principle of worship. And we looked at the larger context of public worship, namely the day of worship, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. 
we saw that the fourth commandment is still binding on the people of God today. We are commanded by God to worship Him publicly, corporately, on His schedule and on His terms. We are commanded to observe the Sabbath and to keep the whole day holy. If you wanted to make a Sabbath hashtag, it might be whole day holy. Whole day holy would be the motto for keeping the Sabbath. How do we do that, we asked and answered last week. You remember what it was? The three R's. We must remember, rest, and reverence. Remember, rest, and reverence. The Sabbath is still binding on God's people today. But under the new covenant, the reformation of Jesus, this is October, this is reformation time. The reformation of Jesus in the first century when he came has introduced some important changes that we noted to our Sabbath observance. We mentioned these. The day is changed from Saturday to Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the new creation that He brings. There are now more exceptions and leniency on what is considered work that we must rest from because, as Hebrews 4 says, our true rest is by faith in the finished work of Christ. We rest from our works and we rest in His. And then we saw that the Old Testament penalty for profaning the Sabbath, the death penalty for profaning the Sabbath under the Old Covenant, has not been abolished. It's been fulfilled as our Savior took the penalty upon Himself for all of our profanations of the Sabbath, for all of our lawless deeds and our law-breaking. He fulfills that death penalty. And thus, under the new covenant, the Sabbath, obedience to the fourth commandment now in this, com in this Sabbath day, it's a day of pure delight and comfort and joy and blessing. It's not a day of legalism and guilt and fear and condemnation. As Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's given to benefit us, help us, bless us, refresh us, serve us. We were not made to be its slaves. Jesus' reformation brings this to its consummation. Now this morning, we're going to continue thinking about the big topic of our series, Biblical Reformed Worship, and we're going to continue thinking about it from this zoomed-out perspective. The Christian Sabbath revolves around public worship. The crown jewel of the Sabbath, Christian, is the corporate gathering of the people of God as the Lord's holy congregation, as we are gathered Today, Everything on Sunday leads up to public worship and everything else flows out of it and from it as we depart from the congregation to go out and continue worshiping God in His creation and in our homes, keeping the whole day holy. 
Now today, I want to give some very practical exhortations on how you can make the most of public worship before, during, and after church. A meaningful Sabbath experience is linked with having a meaningful worship experience. And so as we look together at our passage in Psalm 63, and some other verses as well that we'll bring in along the way, I want to give you some biblical, spiritual, and practical guidance on how you personally should approach worship and use worship before, during, and after church to enhance your Sabbath observance. So today, I want you to think of this sermon. If we were to print it out and put it in a little pamphlet and stick it downstairs for you to take home, I would call this the Worshipper's Handbook. A little manual for how we can approach worship and use worship before, during, and after church in a way that enhances our Sabbath observance and makes it meaningful and beneficial. I have four, four points I want to make here. And the first point is before church, before worship. Points two and three will be during worship. And then point four will be after, after worship, after church. So let's begin first with the before church part. Entering worship, point one. Entering worship. I want us to go back for a moment and think about the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai. They, re- they arrived to receive the Ten Commandments and to enter into the Old Covenant with Moses, or through Moses with God. God himself was going to reveal himself to the people So, they had to be ready to meet God and to stand in His presence. Listen to how Exodus 19, 9 through 11 describes this. It says, And the word, I'm sorry, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, "Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people." The point here is clear. God says you must prepare yourself to worship. You must prepare yourself to meet with your God. And so I want to make, give two practical exhortations for how we do that. How do you prepare yourself to meet with God? If worship begins with preparation, how do we prepare ourselves And I'm going to make two points here, one from Exodus 19 and then one from our passage in Psalm 63. Entering worship requires preparation. 
How do we prepare ourselves? Two practical suggestions. First from Exodus 19. Start early. Start early. In Exodus 19, they were supposed to get ready three days early. God's going to come down on the mountain. Let's, say it's on, let's just say it's the Sabbath day. Let's say it's Saturday. So you need to be ready on Wednesday for God to show up on Saturday. That's what Exodus 19 says. Now, there's no commandment here in Scripture that says you've got to prepare for Sunday worship three days early. But it's, you can. It's not bad if you did that. But the point here is clear. The, the, the specific amount of time, the number of days or hours isn't the point. The point is you don't come fumbling into worship unprepared. Whenever the, uh, a band takes the stage to do a concert, that's not the time to be tuning their guitars. And likewise, we sing a song here, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. You don't start tuning the heart when the music starts for the first hymn. You're way too late at that point. Because we come in here and and if we're not prepared, if we're not ready to begin when we enter... It's going to be difficult to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So start early. How early should you start? Well, that depends on how much prep you need. Some people don't need as much. Some people need more. Doesn't mean anybody's better or worse than anybody else. But you might be unique. And so you need to prepare when you can and how you can. I would say start Saturday evening. Or Saturday night. Or get up a little extra early on a Sunday and spend an extra 15, 20 minutes tuning. Tuning the heart. Getting the mind ready. Preparing to meet with God. You know, I, I love to watch, at least I used to watch it a lot more, the show Judge Judy. <laughs> right? And, and she would ask the, the, the person who, makes, who has the lawsuit, you know, do you have any documentation? Do you have any evidence? And they're like, oh, uh, uh, no, Your Honor, I don't... I don't have anything. And she'll always say, Young man, do you know where you were coming today? Why, didn't you, why do you come to court if you're not ready to show up and make your case? Prepare. We prepare to go to work. We prepare to go everywhere else, to do everything else. Why not prepare our hearts to meet with God? To have a meeting with God, we need to start early. And that might mean we have to build some new habits. Maybe we've got to start unlearning some bad Saturday night habits or some bad Sunday morning habits and build some new ones. New ones that will help us direct our thoughts and our hearts towards worship so that you actually look forward to it and you're able to focus once you're here. Otherwise, when you come here unprepared, you will be too distracted and too disinterested And that's a big barrier to having good worship. Is when we come in here, we're not ready. We haven't even thought about God for a couple of days. We've only prayed before a meal, and not every one of them. (laughs) And that's the only prayer we've had for the week. And And we come in, and we just... And it's like, I can't seem to get into it today. I wonder why. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't a guilt trip. This is encouragement. You can fix this by just preparing. Give some thought to where you're coming. Circle Sunday on the calendar. And man, it's coming. Let's get ready. The Israelites had to start three days early. 
You may not need to start three days early, but do some prep in advance so that you're not distracted, not disoriented, and not disinterested. That's number one. Start early. Prepare by starting early. And the second way to prepare is come hungry. Come hungry. Look at chapter, or look at Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If you'll notice up above verse 1, there's a little title for this psalm. And it says, A Psalm of David. When he was in the wilderness of Judah. David is a, is a very sensitive spiritual poet and lyricist. And that's what these psalms are. They're songs. They're lyrics. It's poetry to be sung. And he's out in the desert. And just his experience of thirst and hot and just miserable. <laughs> he starts thinking about, man, this is how my soul ought to feel about God. Thirsty, weary, and dry, desperate for a drink of living water. And that's what he had to tell his soul. Soul, wake up. You, are, you need to thirst for the living God. And so I say, come thirsty or come hungry. Like the Israelites who were in the wilderness, desperate for an oasis. The soul, likewise, is parched without God. So part of our preparation has to be whet the appetite. Long for His presence. Do things that stir some spiritual hunger. That get you, get that spiritual mouth watering to meet with God. Come with some eagerness. Longing for His presence. Come with some expectation that God really will be here on Sunday. Come with some excitement. God's going to come with grace and mercy and forgiveness and power and blessing. And he's ready to pour it out on me. But if my cup's already full, there's no room for him to pour into me. If I don't come empty and hungry and ready to eat and drink, there's not much he can give that we'll be able to hold or be able to receive. So... How do we do that? Well, I don't know how you personally need to do that. And, and it won't look the same for each person. And, and, and how it looks on the outside won't be the same either. Some people are not demonstrable. And like when they get excited, they're not like outwardly waving their hands and, 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 and yelling, right? That's fine. But on the inside, you could have powerful emotions and not do a lot with your body. Or some people... Are they just are very demonstrable when they get excited, when they have some eagerness. So the way it looks and how you have to do it for yourself, I, I can't tell you. You need to spend some time with the Lord and think about what are some things I can do building those start early habits to get myself ready to meet with God and excited to meet with God. Maybe you have to add a little more Bible reading on, on Saturday night or, or read an extra 15 minutes of Bible on a Sunday morning. Or maybe you need to say some extra prayers. That certainly couldn't hurt. Do some meditation. Take a psalm. These psalms are infallible worship guides. Perfect worship is laid out in the psalms. And you can take these psalms. You can take Psalm 63 and say, Okay, verse 1, Oh God, I earnestly seek you. Look, Lord, I love you, but I'm not there this morning. (laughs) 
And I'm not going to feel like this at church today unless you do something for me. And ask him to. Pray Scripture into yourself. Scripture's not just for me to read and think about. Scripture's there for me to pray it back to God and say, God, do this for me. And believing that he can and believing that he will. Or maybe it takes having some discussions with your spouse. Man, what do you think, what do you think God's going to do for us at church today? Man, I saw the bulletin was sent out a little early. Did you see the Scripture passage? Let's read that together. Ooh, this is going to be a good one. Preacher's going to give it to us this week. <laughs> Man, I love that hymn. Let's whistle it while we get ready. I mean, I don't know what your house looks like. I don't know what would be weird or acceptable for your family. But do some things that, man, get you going. Maybe it's, maybe it's listening to that worship song you like. and Maybe taking your phone and hitting up YouTube and playing it one time through and just letting it wash over you. You have to think through what stirs you. What is it about God that excites you? Whatever you do, prepare. Start early. And come hungry. Listen to Psalm 84, verses 1 and, uh, yeah, 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. I long for your courts. The psalmist didn't always feel like that. But he asked God, make me hungry to be in your house today. Do that for me because I can't do that for myself. But you, Lord, by your spirit and through your word, stir me up, stir our hearts. Tune my heart to sing your praise today. That's the only hope we have to come prepared. Guys, let me tell you, nine out of ten times, Nine out of ten times, I'm telling you, if you don't get anything out of worship, it's probably because you didn't come prepared. You were not hungry because maybe you ruined your appetite with junk the other six days. Enter worship with preparation. Start early. Come hungry. Worship begins with preparation. That's beforehand. That's before church. Now the next two points are about, now that you're here, what do we do? Now that you have prepared for worship and have entered worship, how do you, point two, engage in worship? Engaging worship. And here I've got three points I want to I give from verses two, three, and four in our passage. So, And they all start with an S. Number one, C. How do you engage in worship? C. Verse two. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. To see. Come in here and look. Look. Behold. Behold what? Look for the power and the glory of the Lord to be revealed to your soul through the things we do in worship. In Psalm uh, 27, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, David said, 
One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, to pray in His temple. We come here asking God, begging God, open my eyes so that through the songs and through the prayers and through the reading and preaching of your word and through the fellowship, just in and through all the human stuff we're doing today, that you would give me eyes to see your glory and beauty standing forth from the truth that we celebrate today. The truth in the hymns, the truth in the word, the truth being preached, the truth we pray back to God. Open my eyes to see. That's what Psalm 119 verse 18 says. Lord, open my eyes that I may, that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. Open my eyes so I can see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, is a song we used to sing. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. High and lifted up, exalted. Your glory filling the temple. We come here to look and see something about God. We want to see Him. We want a glimpse of Him. We want to see His power and glory proclaimed. And we want to feel it. We want to not just look at, the, at, the, at a beautiful scene in nature, but actually feel that beauty touch us on the inside. We want to have an experience with God through His truth. Not through the manipulation of our emotions, but through His truth moving our hearts because we see it for the beauty that it is and the wonder that He is. So we come trying to see. How do you engage in worship? Be on the lookout for God. Look for Him. Number two is savor. We come to see and we come to savor. Verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. We open our mouths and sing because we have tasted and we savor a divine, eternal love that cannot be exhausted, cannot be fathomed, cannot be diminished, that we cannot get to the bottom of, that's so good. It's so satisfying that it ravishes our hearts down on the inside and we say, there's nothing better in life than the love of God. <laughs> like, none of us start there. I can't come in, I can't come in here at, <laughs> in, in the morning and just feel that all automatically, right? We got to prepare. And then when we get here, we got to look to see who God is, and then we ask Him for spiritual taste buds to delight in it and to love it. We want to savor who He is. We want to drink in His love. It's better than life. That's why my lips praise you today. And We can't do this for ourselves, so we ha- we're just desperate for Him to do it in us and for us. Listen to a couple more verses from the Psalms. This is Psalm 90, verse 14. It's a prayer. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You pray that. If, you, if I could make a case for the handful of verses that you really ought to memorize, this would be one to turn this into a prayer. Every day, but especially to prepare to come in here to worship. 
Psalm 90, verse 14. And just say, Lord, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love so that I can rejoice and be glad in you all my days. What a prayer. What a lovely prayer God would like to hear us pray. Or come back to Psalm 65, verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. That's about worship. Blessed is the one that you choose and bring near to be in your courts to worship you. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. One more passage from Psalm 84, and this, is, this was part of our call to worship, and it was part of Rick's opening prayer for our call to worship, for the invocation. Psalm 84, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better a doorkeeper in the temple than a wicked king in a palace. Better is one day in your courts than thousands. I mean, where, what's your dream destination? Where would you, on this earth, where would you love to be more than anywhere else? Now again, this is poetry. This is... Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. doesn't mean you can't want to go on that dream vacation. But it does mean we should love to be in God's house. We should just love it. It should just be, like I said, circled on the calendar. We get to go to worship today. We get to, not we've got to because we're Christians and blah. How often have I felt like that? Have you felt like that? Well, it's Sunday morning. It doesn't make us bad people. It just makes us fallen. (laughs) And we need God's help. And he wants to help us. Again, this is not guilt trip Sunday. This is pointing out things that we can pray and ask God to change for us. Give us a delight. We get to go to church today. Hallelujah. Man, Sunday's here again. Woohoo! We don't... We, why, don't why, why do you and I never feel like that? We got to ask God, help us see you today. And just blow us away. I really see you today. High and lifted up. Help us to really savor you today. And to love to be right here with you, Lord. And then number three, how do you engage in worship? You see, you savor, and then third, show. Show it. Verse four. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. So in this verse, the psalmist has no problem doing this. Now we're Presbyterian, so our our hands don't even go this high. I didn't grow up Presbyterian, so I can still do it. I still have a little bit of flexibility. But I can feel it every Sunday. It's getting a little harder, a little harder. Oh. <laughs> right? It's not just age. It's being, yeah, Presbyterian. But it's fine. I want to give you permission. I want to give each of you permission to move a little bit. And uh, earlier, Bill said amen to a point I made. Praise God. You, you, you can say amen out loud. Now, you don't say it just so I'll feel better. <laughs> but you could say amen if something's like, yes, that's right, preacher. Yes, amen. You can say that. 
And if we're singing a song that just really stirs you, and you feel like running around the sanctuary, don't run. But you can do this. You can hold a hymnal and do this. I can. You can do it. And I'm not saying you have to or what you're supposed... I'm just saying feel some freedom in God's presence to let your body be engaged in the worship as well. And not just a head bowed. Like, use your body in worship. Let God see you be excited if you are excited. And again, no one has to do it the same way. And don't feel bad if you don't want to raise your hands. That's fine. I'm just trying to give you permission to be a little flexible in the way we worship. To move a little bit. The psalmist was not afraid to show it. Now, we want to do all things decently and in order. So, there is a way for us to be a little bit demonstrative. And to be a little vocal in church that doesn't become a distraction. And doesn't become everybody's focused on you being crazy this morning. There's a, there's, a, there's a beautiful biblical middle ground between just Lot's wife, pillar of salt, propped up in my pew for 50 years, wheel me home when it's over, and charismania running around jumping, into, jumping up and down in the pews. There's a, <laughs> there is a middle ground right here. How do you engage in worship? Come in here and look. See God. Savor what you see. And then don't be, don't be so cramped physically that you won't let yourself. Just show God by the way you move. But you're excited to be seeing Him and being with Him. Christian, God is fully present with you. In here, right now, God is fully present with you every Sunday, so you should be fully present with Him as well. Listening, following along, participating, engaged. Point three entering worship, engaging worship now. Point three enriching worship. Enriching worship. Now, this is just the reality. I, I was talking to a pastor uh, that I met a couple weeks ago. I was talking to him, and we were talking about discipleship and different things at his church and this church. And I just said, you know, you, you come into the ministry and you think that church and ministry is going to be 100% spiritual all the time. And it's like, I'm not even that way. This church isn't going to be that way. There's just some real-world realities that you bump into that aren't so spiritual. And one of the realities is, we're not going to feel like that, like point two, every Sunday. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to be explosive in our worship every single Sunday to where we just feel like, without fail, like like we're levitating and floating around the room. We're just so filled with the Spirit. That's not going to happen every Sunday. And it doesn't have to happen every Sunday. Some weeks are better than others. Let's just be realistic and have some common sense. Some weeks are going to be better than others. Some weeks you're going to be better than others. Some weeks I'm going to be better than others. Some weeks the service will be better than others. That's just a fact and there's no avoiding it. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you get something out of a bad worship service? As much as I would like to think that I've never put together a bad service or preached a a mediocre, blah, sermon. I I can listen. They're recorded. I'm reminded (laughs) regularly. I'm like, these poor people are not going to keep me around much longer. 
What do you do if it's a bad sermon or, or just or you don't know any of the tunes to the songs and you don't, you don't have, a, like when we sing a psalm and you're like, I don't even know what I just said in this psalm we just sang. That happens. Here I raise my Ebenezer. What's, what's Scrooge got to do with it? <laughs> right? I, I, sometimes we just don't get it or it's just, it's just this, the music's like, I don't know. I don't know that tune. Never sung that before. Hope I never sing it again. Just, oh, man, what a bad service today. What a, man, shucks, you know? What do you do when you've, when, with a bad service? How do you enrich worship when it's kind of stale and bland? This is a real practical issue. How do you enrich a bad or flat worship experience? Okay, well here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to base my uh, exhortations on verse 5, the metaphor that's used in verse 5. So look at verse 5. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So he uses this metaphor of the soul having a feast, eating a sumptuous, exquisite, beautiful meal. Rich, fat food, yes. So I'm going to keep this sort of restaurant metaphor. Here's what I would say about how to enrich your worship. I've got four pointers here. Number one, keep the oven hot. This is a metaphor the Puritans used to use. Keep the oven hot. In other words, do points one and two. Be prepared and be engaged. I I promise you, this will take care of 90% of the problems. Many times, we come into church unprepared, uninterested. It's just that thing we have to do, and we don't really engage, and we go home and wonder, why was worship so stinking bad today? It's like, man, you didn't show up. I mean, you were physically in the building, but you didn't show up. You weren't prepared, and you weren't engaged. And you just came in and plopped yourself down and said, all right, feed me. Let's have it. Come on. Let's go. Right? And I've I've gone to church like that, too. You do it, and I do it. 90% of our problems will take care of themselves if we do points one and two. If we come prepared and we come engaged and we are looking and savoring and we are truly engaged in worship, we will get something out of it. So here's the thing. If, if, I, if I serve the feast cold, it's just cold, not right. If I serve it poorly... Keep the oven hot. You can warm it in your own heart. So if these songs aren't landing, these aren't your favorite hymns, or that sermon was, that wasn't a good verse, or, or you, it didn't make sense, or, or something was flat with the sermon, that's fine. That happens. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. But if you keep the oven hot, if, it's, if the goods are served cold, you can heat them in your own heart. You can warm them because you are prepared and you are engaged. Keep the oven hot. That's number one. Number two, don't blame the chef for bad service. Don't blame the chef for bad service. Now, I'm not the chef, so you can blame me. The chef is Jesus. 
Jesus always, always prepares a feast for you, Christian, every week. He doesn't take Sundays off, and he doesn't mess it up. He always prepares a feast of rich, fat food for your soul to be satisfied with, to eat and taste and see. That's what seeing and savoring under engaging in worship is about, that verse that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus always prepares us a feast. He never misses a Sunday. And if I give you bad service, if I give you bad worship service, that doesn't mean that Jesus did not show up or that the Holy Spirit was not here. Never make the mistake of thinking that how excited you felt or how moved you felt is the index for how present God was. Because the two may have nothing to do with each other. Just because you didn't enjoy worship doesn't mean no one else did. And just because you didn't get anything out of it doesn't mean no one else did. Jesus is always serving us His best every Sunday but sometimes the service is bad. Don't blame the kitchen. You don't have to give me a tip. Keep my tip. Go home. But don't blame the chef. It's not that he missed Sunday. Jesus didn't, didn't show up today. He was a no-call, no-show. Three more of those and he's out of here. No. Don't blame the chef for bad service. Keep the oven hot. Don't blame the chef. And number three, eat the crumbs. Eat the crumbs. The Syrophoenician woman... In the Gospels, when she asked Jesus to heal her child, Jesus said, it's not right to take the food that belongs to the children and give that to the dogs. A very kind of edgy illustration. Did he just call her a dog? <laughs> she ignored it, and she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus loved that answer. That is a good answer. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. So even if I give you something that's flat, stale, if the service is just not doing it for you, listen, there's always something on your plate that you can eat. Jesus is always serving you a feast. And if I mess it up with the way I bring it out and the way I serve it, there's always something on that plate you can eat. I remember a, a time when I went to a steakhouse with my parents, and, and we all, naturally, we all ordered steaks, and everybody's was just beautiful, and mine came out, and it was almost inedible. And if you were to ask me, Wesley, what, well, what cut of steak did you get? You know, was it a, couldn't have been filet mignon, did you, a sirloin or a T-bone, what did you get? The closest thing I could say is, it was the cow's knee. I mean, it was just like ligaments and tendons and fat. I mean, there's almost no actual meat on it at all. But the little bit of meat that was on there was perfect, <laughs> delicious. So I had my two or three bites, and I ate my sides. And, you know, why didn't you send it back? Well, because, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't want to, I want to be polite. It would feel impolite to say, this is the cow's knee. I just choked on the cow's hamstring. <laughs> so I don't know why I didn't send it back. But 
There was something on there I could eat. It was the closest thing to an inedible steak I've ever had, and yet there was still something on there. So remember, in a bad worship service, in a bad worship experience, there's always something on your plate that you can eat. If I give you a sermon, for example, if I preach a sermon and, it's, and I'm not prepared and it's not good and it's just kind of like, what was that? That's my fault. But if you're not listening and looking for the crumbs, the little bits that are edible, that's, that's not my fault. That's the listener. There's always something. And it's not because I always say at least one true thing every sermon. I mean, I hope I do. But if I'm preaching Scripture, even if I preach it poorly, or if we're singing Scripture and, 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 and we sing it poorly or the tune's wrong, there's still God's truth in there. The chef still has something on your plate you can eat. There's still something for you. If you don't eat, that's your fault. Come ready to eat. Come hungry and then eat what you can. And the last thing I'll say here, keep the oven hot. Don't blame the chef for bad service. Eat the crumbs. And then the last thing I'll say here is take the rest to go. Take the rest to go. What does that mean? If you didn't understand the hymn, you're allowed to read that hymn later. <laughs> Sometimes that really helps. It's like, I don't know what we just sang, so I can open my hymnal, or you can go online. There's a website called hymnary.org, the word hymn, A-R-Y, hymnary.org, and every hymn known to man's on there with lyrics, and most of them have the tune that goes along with it. I use it a lot to help us pick out the songs we sing because I don't know every hymn in our hymn book. So I use it a lot. And so I, you can do that if you don't have a hymnal at home. Look it up and read the lyrics because it reads like a poem. It rhymes and everything's just like a little poem. You, if you want to listen to the music, you can do that too. But you can read that hymn later and say, oh, that makes a lot more sense because I'm not distracted by a weird tune I wasn't familiar with. That makes a lot more sense. Read that hymn later. In other words, chew on it later. Take the rest to go and chew on it later. See what you can get out of it a second time through. Listen to the sermon again. If it didn't make sense, maybe you missed something. Maybe it, there's, a, there's something in there that you'll pick up the second time through. They're all recorded, and you can listen to them. Or take some notes, and then review them later. And the, the, the point here is, you can do some things with what you received in the service. You can revisit them later in the day or the next day, just to see what you missed. There's always something you can take away. Always something you can take away in every worship service. And that's because Jesus is the one who is truly the one serving us. And he has blessing and gifts for you that he doesn't want you to miss. Sometimes our bad worship gets in the way, but it doesn't prevent you from looking and taking what you can and enriching your experience. Come prepared. Come hungry and engage and practice these things to maybe get something out of it, even when it's a bit difficult because it's a bad service. Last point. Okay, we've, we've, in, we've entered worship with preparation. We've engaged in worship. We've enriched worship. And now, last thing to do is after church. After church, the rest of the Sabbath day is still ahead of you. Remember, we're keeping the whole day holy. It's a Sabbath day, not just a Sabbath morning at church. 
So now we need to employ worship. We've got to take what we got in worship, and we've got to use it the rest of the day. How can the worship that morning continue to benefit and bless you the rest of the day? That's the last point we want to consider. How can the worship that morning continue to benefit and bless you the rest of the day? How do you make good use of worship for the remainder of the Sabbath? And I just have two, two suggestions here for employing worship after church. Number one, this is very similar to what I just mentioned about take the rest to go. It's reflect. Reflect on the songs, the prayers, the sermon, and the fellowship of morning worship. In verse 6 of our passage, it says, David says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. See, David didn't stop seeing and savoring and showing, engaging in worship when morning worship was over. He was still thinking about the Lord that night when he went to bed. I remember you upon my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. David framed his day with worship. Worship in the morning, and then he also was still thinking about what he had seen of God in the sanctuary that night. David, in other words, he reflected. He was reflective. He meditated. Take those songs we sing, the prayers, the sermon, the fellowship, the conversations you have with each other. Reflect on those. Discuss them with your spouse and or your kids. Think about what you took away from the sermon. Right? No one's going to remember everything that's said in every sermon. You might remember like the general impression it left on you, or you might remember a couple of points, unless you took really good notes. But if you don't, that's okay. But you might remember a point or two. Think about that. Just take it with you. How do I use that? How do I use that in the morning? How do I use that Thursday afternoon when I'm a several days away from church? Reflect on what you can, how you can benefit from these things. Think about them. Pray over these things. You can take the points of the sermon and pray them or take the hymns, read the lyrics, pray those. I'm not telling you what you have to do. You, this is where you can get creative and you can think about ways that you and you personally and you and your spouse and you and your family on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening can just spend a few minutes at least and take the worship we had this morning and bring it up again later. Talk about it. Think about it. Have a discussion. I don't think he interpreted that verse right. Oh, really? Why? <laughs> and then discuss it. Think about it. Pray over it. In other words, this is the part where you digest the meal that you had in worship. God serves you this food in the morning. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And he's still meditating on it that night. His soul is still digesting and getting it into his spiritual bloodstream. Too often we just chew it in the morning and spit it out when church is over. Gulp it down, digest it with reflection, meditation, discussion, thinking about it so that it gets into your bloodstream and you really start to grow. Reflect. How do you employ worship in a way that's useful? Reflect on the worship we had. And the last thing we'll say is this. Rejoice. Rejoice. 
Rejoice in what the Lord has ministered to you today. Keep the songs on your lips as you rest and enjoy your recreation. Fill the afternoon and the evening with praise and thanksgiving. Verse 7 says, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Verse 8, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Refuse, Christian, refuse to leave God at church. Cling to Him. Take Him with you. He's with you the whole day. Make the day about lingering with the Lord. This is how we employ worship to benefit us after church is over. Reflect and rejoice. Cling to the Lord and linger with Him the rest of the day. Now, the specifics, the specific details and routines for how you and your house and your home functions each Lord's Day, the way that looks for you right where you live, before, during, and after church, that's going to be different than the way it looks for others, and that's perfectly fine. That's to be expected. We don't all have to do it the same way, and we don't all have to do it to the same extent. One family might spend three extra hours of the day just thinking about worship and praying together, and you might only be able to do it 30 minutes. Look, don't begrudge that. Do it for those 30 minutes. The way it's going to look for you and your family might be different. I leave it to your conscience before the Lord to say, we are keeping the day holy We are resting, we're remembering, we're reverencing, we're going to use worship the rest of the day, we're going to make the day about you, and this is what it looks like for us. I leave that to your conscience and your family and your situation to figure out. The main thing is that you avoid legalism, you follow your conscience, and you make a serious, authentic effort to use your Sundays in a way that you know before God attempts, at least attempts, to obey the fourth commandment and keep the day holy. That's about all that can be asked of you. You have Christian liberty to go out to eat, to watch a game, to play a game, take a nap, go for a walk, a jog, a run, hike, ride a bike, visit family members. I don't want you to feel that you're violating some commandment if you do those things. We have Christian liberty and we have freedom in Christ based on Hebrews 4 to do those things. And that's perfectly fine. But you should do those other things in a way that leaves some extra time for worshiping the Lord and some additional spiritual activities in your day. Those other activities, the recreation stuff, those should be subordinate to spending extra time with the Lord, both as individuals and as families. This is your worshiper's handbook for how to benefit from worship before, during, and after. May the Lord guide each of you and me as well as you consider and discuss how to use and apply this worshiper's handbook for entering, engaging, enriching, and employing worship on your Lord's Day. And may you find God's peace and blessing as you seek to be faithful to Him. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you indeed have spoken your word again. 
And we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the guidance. We thank you for the example of the Psalms. We thank you for these wonderful gifts. We thank you that you always have a feast prepared for us every Sunday. And I I do pray and plead with you that you would begin to do this work on me first, right here. That you would begin to do this work in me. To make me live out these things. And I pray that you would do that for all of us. That you would help us to, to really concentrate on being prepared to come to worship. That you would help us to engage with you. That you would help us to concentrate enough and focus to be able to enrich a negative worship experience. When we're just not feeling it or something feels off. Help us in those moments not to just tune out but help us to stay hungry and to look for what we can get because you always have something for us. And then help us to reflect on these things and digest them and grow from them the rest of the day. And I pray that you would give wisdom and guidance to all of us as we seek to figure out how best to keep the fourth commandment, to keep the day holy, and to be honoring and obedient to you without falling into the traps of legalism and guilt and, and fear, but that it would be a day of freedom true rest in you in a day of great, great joy and blessing as we linger with you throughout the day. And we ask you to do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.